Hi there. Welcome to the Jewelry Navigator podcast, an on-the-go source of original and unique jewelry with stories of the designers who create it. My name is Brenna Pakes. I'm a graduate gemologist with a degree in geology. I've worked in the retail sector for over 15 years. After completing my graduate gemology diploma and working in the industry for a little while, I took an intermittent career break and worked for a major airline. That's why I combine the theme of aviation and the concept of navigating shoppers to choices of unique jewelry, as well as understanding gem selection and jewelry construction, as well as metal choices. I do a coordinating blog post for every podcast showing photos of the jewelry that we're talking about, as well as links to the jewelers and more information about them. So I hope you enjoy the episodes and feel free to subscribe for your Jewelry Navigator Passport, a way to stay up to date with the current episodes and upcoming features. Thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the episode. Sue Oster of Feral Jewelry is my guest today on Jewelry Navigator Podcast. She's the fearless force behind Feral Jewelry, through which she shares an interpretation of life's strength and vulnerabilities using her signature collections created with sustainable and ethically sourced precious materials. She combines design elements to celebrate who we are and what makes us unique. And she is the elegant rebel, as she calls herself. Her MO of highlighting anomalies and the unexpected are the creative thread by which she shares her creative vision and inspirations, defined by her philosophy of, if a diamond is forever, life is eternal. I'm so grateful for Sue taking the time, especially in this busy season, to visit with me and share her story. Thanks so much for joining me today, and some of you may be waiting very patiently for this episode, because at the end, I'm going to announce the two winners of Stephen Goldsmith's book, Polishing and Finishing for Jewelers and Silversmiths. Stephen was my guest last week on Jewelry Navigator podcast, and he so generously donated two signed copies of his book for me to give away to listeners and readers of Jewelry Navigator. So stay tuned to the very end, and I will announce those winners and also be posting them on Instagram today. So good luck to the winners, and thanks so much for joining me today. I know you have a choice in podcasts, and so appreciate you tuning in and listening to the stories and the jewelry stories of the designers that I feature on Jewelry Navigator Podcast. Thanks so much, and welcome aboard. Well, I was thinking about what we were talking about yesterday, and I love how the concept of life being more valuable than the gemstones and the materials that make up your jewelry, how that's so much more valuable than those components. And it, yeah, I, I mean, that, that, is the, that is the basis, that is the foundation for the original drawings that I did were every single piece had um, a natural component in it. Um, even the, um, for instance, I had a pair of uh, Utah tiny uh, pine cone earrings, three drops with some diamonds in them um, that I actually, that were purchased by my attorney. Everything, everything had natural elements in it and most of it had uh, animal elements in it because um, 
as I said, you know, if a diamond is forever, you know, life is eternal. Um, I really wanted to make these pieces so grounding and so um, make the wearer feel as though their place in the history of time could be felt when they wear the piece. Mm-hmm. Not just the history of time, but the history of of life on the planet. So when you look down at your hand or you're wearing a necklace, you understand your connection to all the life cycles. And, yes. And the animal kingdom, which to me is so much part of who we are. Right, right. And that while we're really, really small part, we're part of a bigger, a bigger much picture. Bigger. Yes. Much, and much more yeah. eternal. Yes. And, and so to elevate the, to elevate the walrus tooth or the trilobite and make it central and more important than the diamond to me is essential to this line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know it's an unusual look, but I think when people understand it, they really, they really understand it. Yes. Yeah. And um, what everybody doesn't know is that you and I talked briefly yesterday and just kind of got to know each other a little bit more. And having a background in geology, I really gravitate towards a lot of these pieces because they do have parts of um, ancient life, the trilobites, and um, you just mentioned walrus tooth. Uh, just, it, it's, it's beautiful and it really does make you appreciate and reflect on um, just the beauty of life here on earth and appreciate the geology and the forms that have enveloped it and then bring it back to the surface for us to enjoy something that lived, you know, thousands and millions of years ago and that you're taking pieces of, of these um, remnants of life and highlighting them with diamonds is, is just even more spectacular. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's just the shape of the, you know, oftentimes, for instance, with the full necklace, sometimes it's just the shape of the tip of the antler or the tooth um, for practical reasons. But, um, you know, in those cases, it's got South Sea pearls, you know, which are also a natural element. Um, so I try to incorporate some aspect of life in almost everything, not absolutely everything, but almost everything, and those things that don't have uh, actual um, specimens have a shape. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I'm looking at your, your, your beautiful South Sea Pearl necklace with yeah. the, um, the shape of the, the tooth that's the, that's the clasp. Is that, is that right? So there are a few iterations of that. There was one that had a boar's tooth clasp, and then then there was one with um, three diamond balls, and now it has a gold tooth clasp. Yes. Yeah. And um, 
have to say I am loving that iteration of it. I think it's um, probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that too. I love that you've taken something that is very traditional and classical, but you've given it even more of a timeless look because it can be edgy or it can be really elegant. Like yeah, I could see a woman wearing wearing that to an opera, yeah. yeah, or to a luncheon, yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah. I that's beautiful. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. You shared some of it with me, and I think it's so interesting that your your design background has contributed a lot to what influences you with your jewelry designs. So tell everybody about your formal education and background and how that contributes to how your designs with feral jewelry. So my undergraduate degree was in writing um, with, uh, um, I had a minor in, in two-dimensional layout, like, you know, writing and design, but the, the design element of that was really um, not was the old-fashioned kind. We had our non-repro blue pencils, and, you know, I wouldn't even, wouldn't even apply it to anything such as this. And then um, after I finished working in the cable industry, I went to UCLA School of Architecture um, for interior design. Mm-hmm. And um, subsequently was hired by Barbara Berry, who is a very well-known interior designer here in Los Angeles. And after working with her for a while, I started my own firm. And for 20 years, um, I had some pretty good success with um, developing a very strong and loyal clientele, both here and in Connecticut and New York, and did poems um, all over the world, mostly in the New York area, Connecticut area, um, but also people's second homes around the globe, which Mm -hmm. exposed a lot of of different kinds of space because some of my clients were international. Mm -hmm. Um, What interested me from the get-go was even, even when I was in design school, was a mix of the unexpected. Mm-hmm. My favorite classes in design school were, were called anomaly. And it was the thing that, that makes the room interesting. You can, you can walk into a room that is exactly just so. It's all one type of thing. But that's not going to make a good room. And the thing that, that sticks out and makes the room really interesting is the thing that kind of doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. And getting that just right so that it's not the sore thumb, but it's the thing that, and you can have two or three of them, the thing that makes it, that adds the interest. It's the salt in the cooking. Mm-hmm. That's always what interested me. So, when I think about design in general, whether it's a room or a shoe or an outfit or as I applied it to jewelry, it was how do we take something 
a ring, a bracelet, an earring, whatever, and make it not the same. There are a lot of really, really great stacking rings or um, beautiful parts on a chain or dog tags or really, really wearable pieces of jewelry that I, I love to wear and buy. Mm-hmm. There are so many companies who do amazing, extremely wearable, everyday jewelry that uh, I think you and I talked about yesterday, um, you can sleep in. You know, those are, those are fantastic pieces. Mm-hmm. Not what I do because that's covered. So when I decided to go into this, I, I know that my product is more of a niche product because I really wanted to do something that was a little bit more along those lines, that, mm-hmm. that the anomaly. I'm the yeah. anomaly. Yes, I, I love that. And um, when we were talking yesterday, I was explaining that I'm, <laughs> I go against the grain and because I want to find, I want to find the jewelry that's like yours because you represent the people who don't want to be like everybody else. And um, <laughs> I have to laugh because one post that you have on your Instagram feed I'm looking at right now, it's the intertwined diamond antler ring. And you say, ever notice that the best fairy tales include a dark forest? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, we're the people who are like, yeah, okay, so I'll take on the dark forest. <laughs> right. And I'll look gorgeous at the same time. Right. And I, I won't look like everybody else going into the dark forest. So that's what really appeals to me about your jewelry. Besides, besides using the organic components, it is, it is unexpected. Like I would never have combined an antler theme with fine jewelry. But it's, um, it's so intriguing because the way it kind of grows off of itself and it branches off, it's just a really compelling design in and of itself. So um, I'm excited to talk to you because I've really admired your jewelry for quite some time. It's, it's wonderful to get to hear your story story about it. So, Well, thank you. I, I do find um, there's a lot of lightness in jewelry. There's a lot of brightness. There's a lot of shiny objects and of course that's why we do jewelry we like shiny objects um but i also feel like examining the dark side or or looking at things in a much earthier way can be very interesting i think there's 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 beauty in birth there's beauty in decay there's beauty in all forms of nature and it's worth examining all sides of it Mm -hmm. yeah Um, that's it that's a really good way to to look at it because, you know, we do have to remember that part of life. It's a cycle, and right. like you said, the dark, the light, the the life, and and the death. To me, it's very elegant, but at the same time, I feel like it it represents a lot of strength. Like your, um, I've been a big fan of your beast ring the lion face on the the signet style ring yeah beast is a big so there's a lot of um there are a lot of words 
in jewelry right now. And uh, I was kind of encouraged by a few people to, to put some words in my jewelry. And the only one I could think of was Beast. Um, I support some animal charities and their sanctuaries. And, and uh, so that lion face is, a, is the face of a lion that's at one of the sanctuaries I support. And okay. um, the strength thing is a really uh, a big part of what I do because I, I feel like when you are wearing this jewelry, it is a sort of a statement of strength. This is not small jewelry. This is, you know, I, I do have smaller pieces for those who, who feel like maybe they're overwhelmed by some of the larger pieces. But for the most part, I if you're going to invest, a, you know, a significant amount of money in jewelry, and, and my stuff is, it doesn't tend to be super inexpensive, um, I feel as though, you know, you kind of want to see it. I mean, this is, this stuff is a statement of strength. This is uh, stuff that you see, and it's statement pieces. And for the most part, when you put it on, you do feel kind of stronger. And the beast pieces are a little bit um, over the top. They have a little bit of a sense of humor to them. But, um, you know, if you're going to buy the beast pieces, you know who you are because you are a person who works really hard. Yes, yeah. Yes. You work re- really hard, and you you honor that, and you know you know you know what your value is, you know what your worth is. A couple of minutes ago, we were talking about your ombre Tahitian or South Sea pearl necklace, and it's one of your favorites. What are some of your other favorite pieces that you wear, maybe on a daily, on a regular basis, that you make? Well, my absolute favorite piece sold to um, a wonderful client from Wisconsin. Um, in Palm Desert last year, or it was actually earlier this year, and it, it was the, the war ring, which was a split antler piece surrounded by champagne diamonds with birded diamonds in the tips. Mm. And she she bought that and um, a beautiful boar's tooth necklace that hung from 150 carats of black diamonds mixed with gold beads. She... Um, she really went for the very feral pieces. She also bought the antler spike bracelet. She was she really went for the really cool pieces. Mm-hmm. So those those are the pieces that I think are um, she really understood the line. Um, those are not necessarily everyday pieces, but those are some of my favorites, and I'm so glad she understood the line and went for it because. That's the kind of stuff that I love making that looks spectacular and is super strong and self-expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I did wear that ring quite often. It's <laughs> hard to replicate because those split antlers are really hard to find. I've got to do a little search. Um, both of those split antler rings have, have gone. For every day, I really like the large hoops with the, um, the, the vine and thorn large hoops. Mm-hmm. I like any bracelet with a dangle on it. I love because I love that movement. Mm-hmm. Move your hand around. So any of my bracelets that have a dangle, whether it's the crystal dangle or the walrus dangle, um, anything like that, I love. Um, and I love a big cocktail ring. So any of the big cocktail rings, whether it's the um, antler tiger eye ring or... Uh, any of the wood rings, the fossilized wood rings. Um, and 
I think my all-time slam dunk best ring that I make is the bling spike. So that is an everyday wear. Mm-hmm. I get stopped in every store. I get stopped on the street. I get stopped in a restaurant. I get stopped, even if I'm just wearing the antler spike. But if if I am wearing the bling spike, I get stopped ten times a day. And the bling spike is a diamond spike through each end of the the top of the ring. Is that right? Yeah. So that that comes in several iterations. It comes without diamonds on the shank. It comes with diamonds on the shank. It comes in yellow gold. It comes in white gold. It comes in mixed gold. Um, it comes, you know, any way you want it. You can do it in sapphire. You can do it in whatever. But um, the my favorite is the yellow gold micro pave. Um, Spike, and that is probably what I'm best known for. That and the antlers. That is the that is the Mac Daddy. That is the OG. That is the the one that um, that I think defines the brand, and it comes in the most iterations of anything I do. So yeah. That and a pair of of vine and thorn hoops gets me through every day, and and it's the most commented about piece. Okay. Yeah, I can I can certainly see why it's. Um, I was going to get to that in a minute and and talk about your signature pieces. The the spike certainly is, and that's that echoes your um, you know what we originally started talking about the unexpected. It's it's an unexpected feature of the ring, but also the whole design of the ring is is unique because. For those of you who haven't, you're not familiar with um, with Farrell and Sue's designs, you need to see this because it's it's I've never seen anything like it. And um, the ring itself is a U shape, and then the spike goes through either end of of the, the shank, of the, shank the top of the ring. Um, how does that work? Does it is it loose or is it screwed in? It has a it has a pin. Um, so the original one was an antler. Okay. That went both sides of the uh, shank, which is a, for those listening, it's as though you have a ribbon going around your finger, a ribbon of silver going around your finger, and then the, the antler shoots through across the top of your finger. Mm-hmm. And then there are diamonds across the top of the shank. So the... The original one was a piece of antler, and it was a runaway hit. So I got a lot of orders through Instagram, and in the punctures I was doing and the stores I was in, it, it sold very well because using antler and silver was also not horrifically expensive. Mm-hmm. So, um, then I started to have to find you know, that exact kind of shape of antler depth. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that must be tricky. <laughs> it is. But then it turns out there's just an enormous amount of, you know, deer shed their antlers every single year. So, and they happen to be plentiful. So um, the Boy Scouts gather them up, and uh, I have a, I, I happen to be one of the bigger buyers of those. So not so far I haven't run out. Uh, I do <laughs> have to sift through them, but yeah. Um, so... Then I made it in 
in gold and silver, and then I made it in gold, and then I made it in diamonds, and so it, it keeps going, and then I made it in crystal, which was is my second bestseller. Mm-hmm. The, there is a pin that holds everything in place that goes from the, the shaft into whatever the um, uh, spike is made of, even the crystal, which is trickier to do than any else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet yeah. some of those break as a result of trying no, to get actually, it. Um, they don't? No, I've not broken um, the crystal yet. One one client who has the crystal um, shipped the tip of the crystal. She wears it every day, and uh, she shipped it back to me, and we were able to salvage it. But um, that was on the tip, which you okay. can imagine you know, is a little bit fragile. But um, the... The, we haven't broken a crystal putting the pin in yet. Okay. But you do need a pin to make sure that doesn't fall out. It's not broken. Right. It's it's in there nice and tight. It's so cool. And it looks like it would be comfortable. It is, remarkably so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do you are you the fabricator? Do you make your jewelry? Or do you collaborate with some um, artisans in L.A.? Right. So I draw everything very carefully. And then um, Ten Fingers Jewelry is my fabricator. And a gentleman by the name of Morat Ugus is the head of that studio. Uh-huh. He is really good at carving wax. Occasionally I can help with the wax, but not very often because he's, he's a really good sculptor. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> he has a team uh, who does the setting we can't cast in the 607 building. It's not allowed. So the casting is done outside of that building, and then it comes back, and we all collectively work on it together. But um, okay. uh, I also um, have uh, two different lapidaries. And um, so I mostly do the drawing, and you know, occasionally I'll help out here and there, but I'm, I'm mostly just the designer. And, of course, I pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're the genius behind these visions. And oh, I don't know about that. But that would be very nice to think. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I do stone buying, you know, in Tucson and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot to design that's beyond the drawing. But, uh, yeah, and occasionally I'll go to New York and do some buying there, too. Yeah, Okay. As I'm scrolling through um, the spike rings, I love how you uh, chose the finish, especially for the gold ones, that it's not a high polish finish on the ring part. Is it a brushed finish? It's almost like a sandblasted or a brushed finish. So I have three different finishes. So if you, like for instance, on the, if you're looking at my Instagram, you can see that there's a, there's a um, a bespoke piece that we did um, for a lady in Jackson Hole, who is mm-hmm. such a lovely woman. She sent me an emerald ring that her mother had given her, and she wanted something really much more updated. It had diamonds around it. She wanted something that was had some more life to it. Uh-huh. And so we um, we did. Um, a very cool design for her. And we, we used 
actually three finishes on that, which was kind of a partial matte, and then we did a high shine on the inner parts of those antlers where it wouldn't scratch. Mm -hmm. And then a, sort of a, a, a more matte on the outside. And then what you're seeing on the, um, on the spike ring is a true matte. Okay. So where you think about brush being, like, coming from the world of interior design, I think of brush as being, like, you know, what you see on stainless steel. Yes. Um, this doesn't have any kind of marks on it. It's just super matte. Like, you can't see brush marks on it. So it's um, a, a very smooth matte finish. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right okay. now. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's so interesting. I love how the texture, and, and there it is again. It's that unexpected. You wouldn't expect an emerald to be in the middle of something so organic looking. Yeah, but that's exactly <laughs> what you wanted. And you wouldn't expect it. Like, like normally I work with a lot of browns and black, you know, very natural colors. But this is, this is something she requested. She said, I want to be able to wear it out to dinner with a leather jacket. I want to wear, I want some cool. Yeah. Well, that you got it spot on. That's um, it's a, and I love that it's east west. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, she was fun to work with. That makes it so much more rewarding, and I feel totally. like people. Yeah, I feel like clients are more open to your creativity when when they're. I don't know. They have an open mind and an open heart. And they're willing to do and try something different. Um, that's exciting. I'm sure that makes your work so much more exciting too. So much more rewarding. And you know, she was so she was so kind. She sent me all of the. I sent her the drawing that we planned on doing, and I really wanted to protect the stone because you know emeralds are so fragile. Mm -hmm. So we had to put a lot of prongs. And so we kept in touch back and forth. And her husband is always on the run, so she, you know, there was some communication problems because she was following him around the world in a sailboat and stuff, I and mean, it was just, you know, she really lives quite a, an interesting life. And then she heard that my neighborhood was on fire during the California. Oh. She wrote me and said, I have this house you can stay in while you're evacuated. I mean, how kind. Oh, really. my gosh, yes. No. I mean, somebody I barely know. Really, just the nicest person ever. Oh, Oh. That's wonderful. So sweet. Yeah, that is really so sweet. So tell me a little bit more about the materials that you use. You talked about the antlers and how those are collected by the Boy Scouts and you get those. But talk to me a little bit more about the fossils and the other materials you, you work with. I, I source a lot of my materials. A lot of my materials are, are fossils. And the majority of them are um, between 4,000 and billions of years old. And uh, I source the majority of them at the gem show in Tucson. But I also source some of them from uh, places in Canada and Northwest United States that are specialists in CITES certified um, fossil material. So everything that I have ever used um, of an animal nature, be it 4,000 to a billion years old, 
has been approved for usage um, in sustainable jewelry. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize for this interruption, but I think you'll find it very informative. It's time for in-flight jewelry information. It's actually, I wanted to give a little bit of background of the organization that Sue just mentioned, CITES. CITES is the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora, and as read or written on their website, quote, is an international agreement between governments. Its aim is to ensure that international trade in specimens of wild animals and plants does not threaten their survival, unquote. So basically what that means for companies and businesses like feral jewelry, they acquire materials through CITES certified sources that go above and beyond to ensure that the fossils and natural materials they acquire use and sell are authenticated and certifiably identified as ethically sourced. CITES regulations use very strict standards, so selections are in the best interests of preservation and sustainability. For more information about the regulations put into place by CITES, the participating countries, see the show notes that will be ready later this afternoon in the link to this podcast. Thanks so much for your attention. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So tell us where we can find feral jewelry. And you mentioned a few boutiques and shops that feral jewelry is in. Tell us where we can find you. Well, you can always find me through me. And um, I'm easy to find on Instagram through DM or through my website. You can always write me. That's the number one place that you can and the best place. Right now, the majority of my inventory is um, at the Jewelry Bar in Palm Springs. Okay. Or Palm Desert, pardon me. Okay. Um, And uh, it will probably remain there through their high season. I can also be purchased through uh, Vault Nantucket. They're having their their Christmas walk right now. You can reach me through uh, Anne Emery Lockhart in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And then uh, also through Bella Cosse in Jackson Hole and in Vero Beach, Florida. I was at Meridian, but I'm not there anymore in, uh, in Aspen. But if anybody's in Aspen and they want to purchase something, they can go in there and inquire. Okay. I have a few pieces in Texas and in San Antonio, but they're probably not places you would find much so... I think the other places are probably better. Okay. Or they can just reach out to you and probably find otherwise. out. There's only mm-hmm. a piece or two there that they would. And then there's a play, another place in Florida where I'm probably going to be soon called the uh, Fane of Bazaar. They're in Miami Beach, mm-hmm. but I'm not there yet. Probably okay. That's wonderful. You're in a lot of really impressive locations. That's exciting. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to be working with somebody new in January, and um, I hope to do some, some road shows, get on the road, and start doing some more trunk shows and uh, see where that, where that happens. So, mm-hmm. Well, if you ever come to the Virginia or D.C. area, let me know, because I will definitely come and meet up with you. I would love that. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your your morning with me. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us about feral jewelry? Well, feral is a young brand, but I think for women who are or men who are uh, looking for something that is not um, not such an aspirational brand purchase, but more of a, a self-expression brand purchase, it might be worth investigating this brand. It's it's not you know it's not your Gucci, it's not your Van Cleef, it's not your Chanel, but it is something that's worth investigating for those people who want something that is really near and dear to your heart, that really has something that's going to resonate with you personally and is going to make a statement about yourself. So if, if you're kind of beyond the aspirational uh, idea, then maybe take a look at Farrell. I think that um, that's kind of the place where I'd like to be for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. And I love how your the progression of your career from your formal education as a writer, it's just morphed into various means of expression. You started with words and storytelling, and now you're telling stories for the people who you know, don't don't want the typical experience. You're helping them tell their story through jewelry that expresses so much on many different levels because it is so unique and it does have a really impressive message and a respectful message when it comes to life and the materials that you use and you know the purpose that you're creating through feral jewelry as a as a brand. I think you put that much more eloquently than I did. I mean, it is, <laughs> it, is a, it is a brand, and it does work with other brands, but it is it's a story. It is a story, and, and I'm so happy that you found yourself into the jewelry design world. We need people like you to help us tell our stories, so it's, it's very important, and I'm so glad that I could share your story on Jewelry Navigator podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And thank I'm you. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. I'm so excited to be sharing Susan's story today. Her jewelry is such a representation of strength, but also honors the vulnerability of life in the present and in the past. Thanks so much for tuning in this whole year of 2019. I want to say that This will be the last episode of this year. I may pop in in a week or two just to say hello and share some exciting jewelry news, of course. And as usual, last week, my guest was Stephen Goldsmith, and he is the author of a book that shares some really unusual and exclusive tips from his experience as a master polisher in London. He has generously donated two books for me to give away. Without further delay, let me go ahead and announce the two winners of Stephen Goldsmith's book. And they're signed copies. I forgot to mention that part. They're signed copies by Stephen of his book, Polishing and Finishing for Jewelers and Silversmiths. The first book goes to Christina Tamames of Atlanta, Georgia. Congratulations, Christina. And the second one goes to Scott Thompson of Nova Scotia. 
Thank you so much to everyone who participated in the drawing. If you'd still like a copy of Stephen's book, I don't know that you'd be able to get a signed copy. You can always ask, but contact Stephen at Gold Polisher on Instagram, and he can tell you where else you can find his book besides on Amazon. Thank you so much. Cross check your sparkle. I hope you get plenty of it for Christmas or for whatever holiday you celebrate. And don't wait for a holiday to treat yourself to the ones you love with jewelry. There's lots of options to choose from, especially from the designers that I've featured on the podcast. Once again, congratulations to Christina Tamames and Scott Thompson for winning the copies of Stephen Goldsmith's polishing and finishing for jewelers and silversmiths. And thank you so much for Stephen for generously donating those two copies. Until next time, cross-check your sparkle. Bye-bye.